Now it is my pleasure to introduce our wonderful spiritual director and the man who holds the light, who sometimes is our bridge over troubled water in his very meaningful message each week. I know he's somewhere, Reverend Patrick Cameron. (laughs) Good morning. Awesome. So I'm going to ask you to do a Uh, something that'll be uncomfortable for some today. So if you're here for the first time, just ignore what I'm saying. Don't do any of it, unless you want to. And if you're here for the hundredth time and you don't want to do what I'm suggesting, don't do it. It's all optional, in other words. But what I'm going to invite you to do is I'm going to invite you, before we pray, before we sing, is to stand up and find somebody that is near you. You may have come with them, maybe not. You're not all standing up. and Oh, you don't want to do it. I get it. Okay. I don't want to stand up over there. That's because you're on the, the left side. That's the that's the brain side. See? Well, that's yeah. Is it? Well, we'll talk about it later. Anyway, so what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to, to uh, uh, interact with one uh, interact with one another in a way that expresses that you have no interest at all in meeting one another, no interest whatsoever in meeting one another. So go ahead and mill around like you don't care if you meet one another or not for the next 20 seconds. You guys have got that down. That is fantastic. Beautiful. Okay, now you got that down. Now I'd like you to to engage with someone as if they are your long lost dearest friend in the world that you haven't seen in 30 years. And all of a sudden you, you come off the airplane and you walk into the lobby and there they are. There we go. Okay. Okay. Ernest Holmes said, What is important is that we live while we are alive. And our level of aliveness is our choice. And so you had the first experience, which was quite what it was. And you had the second experience. What would you choose? So who would choose the first experience over the second experience? Because some people did at the first service. Okay. And obviously, you, en- you found it more interesting the, the second time around, correct? Yeah. All right. So let's bring that level of aliveness to our prayer and our song this day and to our lives because it is in the twinkling of an eye. In this merry room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every Know with me, in the aliveness of this moment, one life 
God's life, perfect life. That life is my life in this moment. And it's true for all of us. There is no spot where God is not. And so I know in this moment as I stand in this aliveness with you that whatever is informing me at this frequency is right and perfect. That I am guided and directed, supported and resourced in every good way. This is my knowing. I impress upon this infinite law. Whatever the current conditions of my life are, I honor them and bless them. But I move myself into what I love, the vision of my life, what I am being called to. And so I give thanks to stand in the wisdom and the discernment and the understanding of how precious each thought is. Each moment is the eternal moment right here, right now. And so I know in that knowing, every good thing, every good thing that is seeking me has a place to land right here and right now. I'm the place where God shows up each and every day. And I continue on that journey. For this I give thanks and together we say, and so it is. Please be seated. All right, now that we're alive, aliver, there's a wonderful, I've um, been using Living the Science of Mind, I'm going to read something from it in a moment. And I have a lot of, you know, it's so great to live on a planet that we have so much great information and wisdom available to us. And Hugh Prather is one of my favorite authors, and he has got a book that's been around forever, probably 30, 40 years, called Spiritual Notes to Myself. And in it, he says that many of us today make a simple mistake in logic. If the world is merely a projection, we reason whatever is in my mind is projected or manifest in the world. This, we say, is the higher law. But once again, we confuse the mind with the body. It should be obvious that all the people and events that swirl around us personally are not a projection of our separate mind or single brain. For us to believe that would be a form of arrogance. Our mind is of God which means that our true mind is a part of love. But if we equate our mind with our body's brain, we are tempted to use our mind to acquire and manipulate on behalf of our body. Jesus sought no advantage for his body, and the effects of his miracle was to set those he touched on the road to God, not on the road to acquisition and favored treatment. I think my life is a logical puzzle that I have only partly put together. So I spend my time moving around the pieces that don't yet fit. Don't we all do that? If we get this piece over here, it's going to be better. No, this over here. I mean, that's kind of the way we work and operate it at some level. If I can just get these remaining few to work, my life will come together. Yet even as I seem to set one or two more in place, the puzzle itself changes, and I have to begin again. You notice that? It's not linear. That's been my experience. As I look back on my life, I see that I never reach a point at which I say everything is as I want it. Nor do I know anyone who has. Clearly the ladder we climb has no top. Search but never find is the only outcome this approach can have. But I love the idea because it's exactly what Dr. Ernest Holmes talked about in all of his his writings. There is no top to the ladder. We continue to climb. We continue to do the work or not. And so we're talking this, this day about how much good can you handle? How much good can we allow into our lives? Because the, the process that we're about is not about shifting and changing anything. It's about revealing. See, the perfection that we are, the perfection that we are individually and collectively already exists. We're all perfect. There's a, there's a pilot light that burns within each one of us. And as we amplify the connection with spirit, the, the, the fuel that fuels that amplifies. And all of a sudden, the pilot light becomes brighter and brighter and brighter. Jesus said it another way. He said, ye are the light of the world. And so... <clears throat> It's just fascinating to be on this journey. And it never ends. And there's no top to the ladder. But that's the good news. We're works in progress. See, our 
our opportunity is that each day is not about perfection because the perfection is a done deal. If we agree upon that, there's nothing to, to debate. It's simply about progress. In Scott Peck's wonderful book, I brought this with me today. It's one of my favorite books. read it 25 years ago. And it's called, it's still on the New York Times bestseller list, The Road Less Traveled. And in it, he says this. First three lines of the book, life is difficult. And this is a great truth, one of the greatest truths. It is a greater truth because once we truly see this truth, we transcend it. Once we truly know that, what life, that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult. It's just life. Because once it is accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. So get, get, accept it and get on with it. Declare victory and move forward. I mean, that's what brought me to this teaching. That's what keeps me engaged. The challenges that keep showing up and things that I think I've conquered. Never going to have to do that again. Glad I got that done. And then all of a sudden, it shows up again in another form. And I go, well, there's part of that's still alive in my consciousness, but also there are things, there are patterns that repeat themselves. And so it's not about controlling that or pushing it away, denying that life is difficult, but just saying, oh, you know what? There is, there's challenges in life. There's opportunities in life, and it stretches me. All of this is geared and designed to stretch me and, and grow me into a, a bigger consciousness. In Mary Manon Morrissey's uh, practice, um, um, Prosperity Plus, we're doing that class. She talks about a frying pan, and people keep saying, what's she talking about the frying pan? Well, the story is this. This guy goes fishing, and he has this length of, of wood, and he would catch a fish, and he would pull the fish out, and he would lay the piece of wood on it, and if the fish were longer than the piece of wood, he would throw the fish back. And this goes on for weeks and months, and finally his fishing buddy says to him, what are you doing with the stick? And he says, well, I got a frying pan at home, and it'll only fit a fish this big, so if it's too big, I just I throw it back in. So the, 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 the spiritual journey, the, the journey that we're on, or the opportunity we're on, is to, to develop a bigger frying pan, a bigger container of consciousness. And that's why life's wisdom, and that's why our stories, and that's why our, our, our transformation in consciousness. We are a vibrant spiritual community alive and awakened by personal transformation. That's where the work's to be done. Dr. Holmes says this in the book of the month, Living the Science of Mind. He says that, it does not, in this chapter, and it's a wonderful book, if you want to really have an opportunity to look at the way Dr. Holmes approached a lot of his ideas, it's wonderful because there are two or three chap, page chapters in this book. It's fantastic stuff. He says, it does not look as though we could discover God without the self because we look at ourselves and say, well, look at me. Look at me. I'm poor. I'm weak. I'm miserable. I'm unhappy. Disconsolate and forlorn. And you tell me that I shall find God in the midst of this chaos? Are you crazy? He doesn't have that in here, but I'm building. <laughs> in this chaotic mass, which I call myself? It, it, it does look discouraging and like a forlorn hope. See, I can totally identify with this. When I walked in the doors of these centers, I just thought, oh, man, what a great idea. But I don't know if that's for me. Because I didn't have the foundation. I didn't, even, I didn't even see a glimmer of hope in that experience. He continues, but still we must consider this the starting point. We all start somewhere. Consider it the starting point. Here I am. I'm hopeless, miserable, weak, unhappy, forlorn. For there can be no other place to begin on the road to self-discovery, the discovery that leads back to the original force. And gradually, as we shear the belief in separation from our consciousness, the chaos produced by it, the inhibitions and inner turmoil, we emerge on the other side of this chaotic mass and find that heaven was waiting there all the time. That's what waking up's about. Heaven's here right now. You get a glimmer of it when you walk in and say, oh, golly, I don't want to meet anybody today. 
He better not ask us to get up and greet one another. (laughs) Nothing has happened to it, as in the experience of the prodigal of old. The father's house was still where it always had been. And this is really important. In our Prosperity Plus, Mary Madeline Morris talks about longing, following the longing and the divine discontent. The way we follow it is by finding what we love. The first step in writing our vision statement in that class is what do you love? What do you love which ties into your passion? Which then should lead to action. Think about it. Mary says three things. Think about it. What do I love? What do I love? And don't, and don't say what do I love but it's not possible. Most of us say oh I love this or this. But mm, I've had these stories. Just what do you love? And don't judge it. Don't discern it. What do I love? Think about it. Get into gratitude, which elevates, elevates our vibration. It's spiritual practice to get into gratitude. What do I have to be grateful for? I'm miserable. You're breathing, aren't you? Think of the alternative. But you've got to find something, wherever you are. Gratitude, and then take the action. What happens for us is we use our experience and pain to keep us from discovering ourselves. When we're we're stuck in the story, we use that to keep ourselves from discovering ourselves. I watch it. We're doing the Prosperity Plus class. We ask people to tithe. That's a huge spiritual practice to take. I'm very uncomfortable. Tithe 10% of my good back to where I receive my spiritual food? Couldn't I do something else like find the cure for cancer or something that would be easy? (laughs) See, it's to wake us up and to stretch us and to understand. And once you step into that flow of life, you, you never go back. Dr. Holmes says, but just wishing, hoping, or longing will not bring about this self discovery. There must be persistent and painstaking attempt to separate everything from us that does not belong to the spiritual person. So life is difficult, is it not? As Scott Peck said, and once we understand that, we can get on with it. You know, I, um, Laura and I started taking a, uh, uh, an exercise class, and the, the woman that teaches that exercise class, I'm looking out at her right now, and it's a wonderful class because, and I'll tell you what, I would love it if I could sit at home and affirm perfect health for myself, that I'm the perfect body weight and I'm just perfect trim and fit in every way, shape, and form. Ta-da! And then I'm going to go have a bowl of ice cream and a Twinkie and think about it some more. (laughs) But you know what it requires? We have to get up and actually drive over to this class and participate in the class. Can you believe it? The nerve and the gall of the universe to force us to do that. Dr. Holmes said, Wishing, hoping, or longing will not bring about self-discovery. There must be a persistent and painstaking attempt to separate everything from us that does not belong to spiritual Person, he's a spiritual man, spiritual men and women. Persistent, painstaking attempt to separate everything, and that is our thinking, our level of thinking. But the thinking is the place we start, and that needs to carry us into what we feel. Because what happens is, we can think about it all we want, but we have to take the action. Think about it. Get into the gratitude. Elevate our, elevate our position. We use experience and pain to keep us from experiencing ourselves. Dr. Holmes' premise, this whole premise of this teaching is there's a power for good in the universe. That power for good in the universe animates us. It brings us to life. 
We don't breathe, as Mary Madden Morris says, we don't even breathe on our own. Oh my God, and, when you, and you start to connect with that. I got up the last few days, I get up and I look to the east, and, and we have a two-story house. I can, the sunrises have been amazing. I mean, if you doubt, doubt the existence of a power, and I know it's dust and all the scientists, see, the, the scientists don't ask why. As soon as a scientist asks why, they become a philosopher. Scientists just want to know how. So the scientists will tell you, well, that's just atmospheric dust turning everything red. Well, there's an intelligence there, in my opinion. And so we, our thought is so important because our thought will lead to feelings. And so what happens is if something is bothering you or I, we are training ourselves into that vibration. If something is bothering you or I, we are training ourselves into that vibration. I went down Friday and I got to go to an arbitration because we had a tenant. We bought this fourplex over here and I've been, I was the property manager for a while. And so when we purchased it, there's a variety of things that, that had to be done. And there was one tenant that I, I had a very interesting encounter with. We, we increased the rent because we would like to cash flow it, and they were well below market value, and I talked to a property manager who's now on board. But anyway, before they, we got there, I re- increased this individual's rent. And he came over right after that, and he came into the office, and he was, he was using very bad language, and he was very inappropriate in his behavior. And I wasn't here, so I heard about it, and then I went over, and I knocked on his door, and I said, what's going on? And he started using the same attitude and the behavior with me. And so uh, I said, well... You know, I understand you're upset. And then he, he got into all sorts of things that happened. So I called landlord and tenant, and I, and I said, what do I do with this? Because this is very, it's very threatening, and I'm not comfortable having our operations team exposed to this. It's very unpredictable. And they said, well, if you feel someone's threatened, you can evict them. So I did that. I wrote up a letter, and I evicted him. So he wrote back a letter and said I was the one that was, was inappropriate with him. So we, went, we started having this thing going on. And every time we do it, I just go into prayer and I go into forgiveness. And so I went back over and, and uh, he finally moved out. And long story short, uh, didn't I didn't discover a forwarding address. No oversight on my part. But in the meantime, I had mailed him, his, his brother, half his security deposit. He wanted his security deposit back. I mailed him his. Uh, but he still came over with three policemen one day and served me with papers which was, I was a threat to him, and he was going to show the world what a threat I was. So I thought, fine. And the police came, and I said, you know, I have his deposit right here if he wants it. So they called him and said, if you come back, he has your security deposit. He says, no, I'm going to go to court. I want to go to court. I thought, okay. So I'm, I'm just thinking, what is going on here? What is going on here? And kept going back to spiritual. So anyway, we went down Friday. Laura went with me, and we resolved it and came to some resolution. I was just there. Whatever it takes... You know, and it, what it was, I had to pay the $75 filing fee because I was late with the deposit, but he got all his deposit back a month ago. And I thought, you know, for $75, this is a bargain. I would pay $7,500 to get rid of this guy, but he didn't know that and don't tell him that. But as I was leaving, I was thinking thoughts of, let's say they were lower forms of thought. And as I, we were leaving, and Laura said, let him have his victory. And I thought, you're absolutely right. I don't want more of this in my life. So when I found this quote, and this actually comes from Esther Hicks, when something is bothering you, you are training yourself into that vibration. Do I want to continue to train myself into the vibration of combat? Or do I want to find something more interesting to apply myself to? And so I started to do forgiveness practice for myself. Because when you're in that, it's very chaotic. And it's also, and then, of course, the stories, you start to tell the stories which are based on history and how unjust it is and how ridiculous it is and what a waste of time and resources. But the point is, is that at the end of it, I can either carry it with me 
and create more of it in my life where I can put it down in love. Not because I'm, I, I in any way, shape, or form want anything to change with that individual, but what, it, what, what can happen here for me is I want to shift my vibration. And so what happens, and I love the Esther Hicks stuff. Some people will argue with me, but Esther's some of the cleanest science of mind I've ever encountered in, in the modern day. She says, when we clean up the vibration by reaching for the thought that makes you feel better, reach for the thought that makes you feel better because the, the thought that makes us feel better, when we come in and we're disinterested in greeting one another or we come in and we go, oh, thank gosh, here's my all lifetime friend that I haven't seen in years and years and years. We're making that up. But we make it all up. You know, when we're doing the vision statement and I watch the students and everybody cares deeply, we're going to get together. Those who want to come early today, 3 o'clock, we're going to meet an hour before class. People are asking me, is class starting at 3 o'clock? Is class starting at 3 o'clock? No, it's an extra hour. We're going to talk about vision because people care. And you need a vision. See, you need to think about the thing that, that you love. What is it that I love? What would my life look like if I had enough resources? If I had the great job? I had the perfect relationship? My health was perfect? What would it look like? And that's the vision. So let's capture that vibration. Let's move in that direction. And it's not in stone. We're not putting this in marble or granite. We're just writing it down on a piece of paper. And next week, if it changes, we write something new. It's fluid. See, there's no top to the ladder. So it's, it's not about perfection. It's about progress. Work with something, a bigger idea that stretches us. And she said it needs to be attainable. Don't, don't say, you know, if, you, if, if your, your, bank, your uh, checkbook isn't balanced and you owe everybody money, and you're affirming that $30 million comes into your life in the next two weeks, it's probably a gap there. There's probably a gap. So maybe you start with all my debt is taken care of. And then then when all debt's taken care of, and multiple streams of income are coming into your life, whatever it may be. Do you realize, if you look at consciousness, look at consciousness, there are people on this planet that make as much money in an hour as some people make in a week. There are people on this planet that make as much in an hour as some people make in a year. If we, if we take on all of the, the aspects of the culture, I mean, there are people in third world countries that live on, live on very little income compared to what we would call income in the, in the West. What is it? What is that? It's a reflection of consciousness. It's a reflection of consciousness. At the end of the day, so how do I step into that in my life? How do I honor and love and bless myself so that I'm a gift, so that I'm aligned with my gifts, my passion, and, I, and I, can, I can give it? Larry Anderson said it at the business breakfast. There's a wonderful thing to understand your gifts, one of the things to have passion about it, and then there's got to be a market for it. What, on, what entrepreneurs understand is that there's got to be value, that people will want the product. Otherwise, it's just, Ernest Holmes said, realization without application is hallucination. Mary Manon Morrissey says, realization without application is recreation. It's all the same thing. You know, in the, in the, in the work, the, the story this week, I, I shared the Samson and Delilah story last week, and Delilah is, is the, it's the doubt. When we get into Delilah, it's the doubt, and we start sleeping with Delilah, and then we lose our power, because Delilah will cut our hair off, seat of our power. Amy likes that. She'd be writing a song about that. Anyway, so this week she talks about David and Goliath. You all know David and Goliath, right? Anybody ever not heard the story of David and Goliath? So David, David's, I'm going to give you a look because it's a wonderful illustration. But so David's got three older brothers. And there's a big battle going on between the Israelites and the Philistines. 
And King Saul puts out the word and tells all the able-bodied men of age to come and we're going to fight the Philistines. And so what they used to do in those old days, they'd find a valley. That's where they were going to have the battle. So they found a valley and there's caves up on the hills on both sides. And so prior to the, the battle starting, what they would do is they would fill those caves with provisions, water and food and everything else they thought they might need. And so they got everything ready, and all of a sudden they line up, and there's 136,000 Philistines, and there's 136,000 Israelis. And they're lined up, and they, they line up in a column, and then they, what they do is they engage, and they fight. Well, this one is different, because what happens is the Philistines send out Goliath, and Goliath is this big, big, big guy, heavily armored, just nasty and mean. And he just scares the you-know-what out of everybody. And nobody wants to fight him, and Goliath says, I'll tell you what, instead of wasting all these lives, here's what we're going to do. I will fight whoever you send forward, and we'll fight to the death. Whoever wins, who's ever victorious, if I lose, we will become your slaves, your servants. If you lose, you'll, you'll serve us. And so they're, the, the Israelis are really nervous because nobody wants to fight this guy. And all the Israelis seem to be a bit smaller than the Philistines. They're all bigger. And they got, they're heavily armored. They're well-equipped. And so David, David's three older brothers go to fight. He stays home, and his dad says, go see what's going on. Because they didn't have CNN. They didn't have newspaper. They weren't using carrier pigeons. So he says, go see what's going on. Go find your brothers. So he goes off to the camp, and he comes into the Israelites' camp, and he's walking around. and looking for my brothers. And he keeps going from campsite to campsite. And as he's traveling looking for his brothers, he starts hearing the story about Goliath. And he also hears that King Saul, the king of the Israelis, has promised that anyone that will defeat Goliath will have the, the hand of his beautiful daughter, the princess. And they will be given horses and land, and they will never have to pay taxes again. Isn't that a sweet deal? I checked online. Revenue Canada does not have that program available yet, but it's coming soon <laughs> to a province near you. Anyway, so he's pretty excited about that. And so he's, he's there, and he's watching. Goliath comes out every day, and he roars, and he challenges, and he insults, and they cower. And so David starts working with this idea. He thinks, hmm. Man, she's beautiful. This princess, she is hot. The rumor is that she bathes in perfume. Oh, my God. This guy's in bed with the princess already in his head, right? And, he, and, and horses and land and no taxes, and the kingdom eventually be his. And so he, he starts to nurture this idea. And so finally he goes to the king, and he says, I'm ready. And he's this little shepherd boy. And the king says, you're ready? He says, yeah, I'm going to take him. You? Yeah. Now, I know David went back and forth, because we all do, when we're taking on something big. He didn't just say, wow, I'm going to do this. But he was reeling because what he was in love with was the bigger idea. See, the fear, of course he feared Goliath, but what he was in love with was the princess and the horses and the land and all these things. It was a bigger idea. And so he took himself out of the worry and fear, and he put himself into the bigger idea, which pulled him forward, the vision for his life. Oh, my God, all this stuff is available. He said, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to risk. So the king says, here, I want to make sure you're protected. And he puts all his armor on. He puts the helmet on and the stuff. And, and, and David is just buried in this, this, this armor. He can't move. He says, I can't do this. I can't use the armor, which is, a, which is a metaphor for the old belief system. The king wanted David to put on the old belief system of fear. And David said, I can't do this. I've got to take this armor off. So he just sheds the armor. And he walks out, and he's got a, he's got a sword in his, in his uh, waistband, and he's got a sling. And he goes down before he goes to battle, and he does his preparation. He does his prayer work. He does his contemplation. 
He asks for guidance. He asks for support. And he goes down to the river and he pulls out these smooth stones and he puts them in his little pouch. And he walks out and Goliath sees him and he starts laughing. And so David puts one of the smooth stones into his sling and he starts spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. And as Goliath gets closer and comes at him, he lets go of the stone and it hits him in the head, knocks him down. And David walks over and takes his sword out and he cuts his head off. What is a metaphor for in all of our lives is we have all these giants in our lives. And as long as we dwell upon them, as long as we continue to, to tell the story, that that story keeps us from experiencing ourselves. And that story keeps us stuck where we don't want to be. It creates more and more and more. It's paradoxical. But we've got to have a bigger idea. So the story is Mary Man and Morris. He says the story isn't about David and Goliath. It's David and the princess. It's David and the princess. I remember Sylvester Stallone when he did the first Rocky. He said it's not Rocky and Apollo Creed. It's Rocky and his true love. It's a love story. So, so David fell in love with the dream, with the possibility. And it's all spiritual principle. It's what we teach. But as long as something is bothering us, we're training ourselves into that vibration. And that's why spiritual practice is so important. So how do we do that? Because, you know, when I walked out of that arbitration on Friday, I was, I, was not, I was not in that space of expansiveness. I was not in that state of love. But I said to myself, I don't want to stay here. And so I immediately went into forgiveness work. Immediately, I forgive myself for what I'm feeling right now. And that's the graciousness, and that's the wisdom, understand. And I knew eventually I would, I would move myself out of it energetically. But it took... I have to tell you, I'm always disappointed it takes so much energy at times. Because I think after all this time, it should be easier. But it took persistence, painstaking attempts to separate everything from myself that did not belong to the, the, the true nature of who I am. And we fall asleep to it over and over again. And, it's, and what we need to be able to do is to be able to look at ourselves and laugh and say, you know, here I go again. Thought I had it knocked and I didn't. But now I get to use the tools that someone else shared with me, the power that someone else shared with me. And apply them in my lives. See, what happens for us is we understand what we don't want. All kinds of things that you want are not in alignment with your consciousness. That's what I love about Mary Man and Morrissey's program. It's not about having more. As it talked about, as Hugh Prather talked about, Jesus never went out and did his, his, the things he did because he wanted more, because they were self-fulfilling. What he did is he stood so clearly in who he was and what he was because of the work he'd done at the level of consciousness. I believe that he healed, or the, the stories of his healing were based on the idea that he was, he was the, the essence of unconditional love. He, was, he showed up fully orbed in that awareness. And he was in and out of it. If you read scripture closely, you see at times where he was not quite so fully realized in his oneness. But he understood that. His example of his life, he would go away into solitude and he would come back because he needed to, to reground himself in the truth of his being, but it's the unconditional love. Dr. Holmes said, and he said it, these things I have done, you shall do an even greater. So how do we grind ourselves in that? How do we have the spiritual practice in our lives, because we forget, because the conditions show up in our lives. And as long as we can continue, and it's not about forgetting the conditions. Believe me, I remember this guy. 
that I, I had this encounter with at the fourplex. And, you know, if he wanted to rent something from me, I probably would say, no, I think we'll, we'll do something different. It's not that we forget, but we can, do, we can manage our lives and we can discern our lives without hatred, without anger, without frustration. Share the, the Viktor Frankl story with you last week. Took everything away from him. Killed his family. Took away his manuscript. Took away his little wedding, wedding, wedding ring. He said, I will not hate. I will not hate. And so when I'm coming out of this minor incident with this guy, I'm thinking, I will not stay in anger. I said to myself, I refuse to stay in anger. Because I was in anger. You know, I, to me it was, you know, I, had all, I have all these opinions. I bless it all. I bless it all and I move on. Declare victory and move on. Dr. Ernest Holmes, when he was done with something, he would just move on. Didn't need to burn it down. But when, when something is bothering us, we are conditioning ourselves. We are conditioning ourselves for that same experience. And that's why it's so important for us to stand tall, and to stand, stand in our, our conviction about ourselves, who we are, whose we are, wherever it may be. That's why forgiveness is so important. I've forgiven this guy. I got news. He's not, he's not getting invited over to my house for Christmas. I'm not going to write a long letter to him explaining my position. I just want to love him away. Love you, bless you, thanks for showing up. Thanks for reminding me those things are still alive in me. But I don't want to bring that with me on a Sunday morning. I don't want to bring it into my home. It's poison, in my opinion. It's inappropriate. And I, I will not do that. Simple little example. So we have Goliath in our life. What is the giant in our lives? And if we continue to worry about the giant, we are never going to be propelled into the bigger vision unless we have the bigger vision. And that's the way spirit works. That's the way consciousness works. What we dwell upon, we become. What we dwell upon, we become. So for all of us to fall in love, what do we love? What do we love in our lives? What's your passion? What, what, would, look, what would be a stretch for you in your life right here and right now? And write it down. Financially, it would look like this. Health-wise, it would look like this. Relationship-wise, it would look like this. Things I can't even imagine, but I've seen and read in a book whatever it may be. And then we grow into it. But it is painstaking, consistent work. Holmes knew that. Longing for it is not enough. And that's why Mary Manon Morrissey says, think about it, get into gratitude, and then take the action. Get into the gratitude. And so for me, I came back and I read that and I said, you know what? I'm going to think about this. I'm going to be in gratitude about what happened, what unfolded that I have enough spiritual practice and mindfulness to move through that without creating more discord and chaos. And then to release it and take the action. I'm done with that. That's fantastic. It was a great lesson. It was a great reminder. Been there, done that. Lived most of my life there. For all of us. All of us have this opportunity each and every day. Each day is a baby day, as Mary Madden Morrissey says. Each day, this moment, this is where we start right here. It doesn't matter what happened before. It does because we're never going to forget completely but we can outgrow it. We can outgrow it. And it's not perfection. It's progress. And so when we, when we live in our aliveness, we can live in our aliveness. We can be a lifter-upper of life. We can be visionary. We can be a genius. We can live in our genius. We can increase the time spent in our lives where we have great, more feelings of feeling good. Whatever it may be, we have this day to live in. Let's do it well. Let's do it awake, alive, and let's just stand together in the awe of life. And then we're a blessing wherever we go. And so it is.